Timothy is that day that the world at large celebrates what we are pleased to call Easter Sunday. That day that after Jesus Christ had been placed in Joseph's new tomb in the garden, He came forth after three days victorious over death and the grave. And with that in mind, I want us to think this morning on the thought of the idea of when death is gained. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. And Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, this church at Philippi, it had a very, very special place in Paul's heart. It had its beginning when Paul and Silas and his traveling companions, when they went to the city of Philippi and they met for worship down by the river. And there down by the river they had prayer meeting with Lydia, a seller of purple, a businesswoman, and her employees and her family and her household. And Dr. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 16 that the Lord opened Lydia's heart and she attended the things that Paul preached and she was baptized and her whole household. Lydia was the first European convert to Christianity. The church at Philippi was the first church established on the continent of Europe. After baptizing Lydia and her household, Paul and his company went into the city. There was a maiden there that was a soothsayer, fortune teller. And she was following Paul and his group around and saying that these men are servants of the Most High God. And Paul cast the demon, the evil spirit from her. Well, when that happened, those that owned her and were profiting from her soothsaying, they complained to the magistrates and they had Paul and Silas taken out and beaten unmercifully and thrown into prison. Well, there in prison, there in Philippi, at midnight, Paul and Silas had the prison revival. And they started singing and praying and praising God. And the jail doors were opened and the jailer's going to come in and take his own life. And Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. They began to preach to him Jesus. From that modest beginning of Lydia and her household and the jailer and his household. From that modest beginning, a great church was established in the city of Philippi, a very prominent city in that part of the world in that day and time. And the church there experienced phenomenal growth. And so writing a letter to this church that Paul loved so dearly, he says, for me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. The overriding theme of the Philippian letter is one of joy and happiness and rejoicing. The overriding theme of the Philippian letter is happiness. In fact, it's one of the most optimistic and joyful and upbeat letters that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. In fact, the words joy and rejoicing actually are used at least 17 times in some form in this very 
brief letter. When Paul penned those words, and he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's in prison in Rome. The Philippian letter along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon are all referred to as the prison epistles. Paul's sitting there. He's writing from his prison cell. And Paul knows that in the very near future that cell door is going to open. And he knows that he's going to stand on trial before Nero. And Paul knows that when that cell door opens and he stands on trial and the verdict is rendered that he's going to travel one of two roads. There's the possibility that he'll be found not guilty. And if that happens, Paul is going to once again be able to go and in person visit this beloved Philippian church. He's going to hurry back to those friends that he thinks about with the deepest gratitude. In fact, in the opening of that letter in verse 3, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And the thought of going back to Philippi and seeing those brethren there that he loves so dearly, that fills Paul's heart with joy. Freedom is going to mean that he meets again with his dearly loved friends. Freedom is going to mean that he's going to go on with his great work of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when that cell door opens, there's also the possibility Paul will be found guilty. And in that case, he's going to travel another road. Because if Nero finds him guilty, he's going to travel a very short road to the place of execution. He'll lay his head on the block. And the executioner's axe is going to put a grim period to the end of his earthly life. At that point, at the time that he writes this letter, and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, death, for Paul is not a remote possibility, folks. It's a great and high probability. And there's a great mixture of emotion that's seething in the heart of this apostle. One road leads to life and work and friends, and the other road leads to a very ghastly and horrible death. And facing that, This great man of God says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Seventeen times he talks about joy and hope and rejoicing in this letter. And he's staring death in the face. I think he's holding up really well for a man under those circumstances. I'm not sure I'd be talking about joy and happiness if I was facing what Paul's facing. Because Paul realizes something. Death is very near for him. Like all of us, he knows that ultimately it's an absolute certainty. 
But for Paul, it's not in the abstract anymore. And look at the spirit that he's in. He's not contemplating death with a trembling spirit and a stammering voice and a pale face. There's no terror in his heart, no terror in his words, no terror in his eyes as he's facing a the probability of an untimely early demise. And he's not trying to ignore the fact of death altogether. He's not facing death with fear and terror. But he's also not facing it with morbid eagerness either. I've seen folks and I've known folks that were just, you might say, eager to die. I remember my great-grandmother for the 16 years of my life that I knew her. Every time you saw her, well, Granny, how are you doing? Well, I'm just sitting here waiting to die. Most morbid woman you ever saw in your life. And there's something unhealthy about a person that's eager to die. Because you see, the person that's eager to die is afraid. They're afraid of life. They're afraid of facing tomorrow. They're afraid of facing what tomorrow might bring. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm looking forward to it. Because it's a new day, it's a clean slate. It's just as hurtful to be afraid of life as it is to be afraid of death. And Paul says, I'm not afraid to live. And he says, I'm not afraid to die. He said, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. He's facing both of those things with calmness, confidence, and joy. It's as much as he looks up to God and he says, God, thy will be done. If he's set free, he's going to see his friends again. He's going to be able to continue to do the work that's so near and dear to his heart. And if he's condemned to death, well, it's going to be something even better. He's going to get to see Jesus. That's why in verse 22, he says, I don't know what to choose. In verse 21, our text said, For me to live is Christ, for to be to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I know not. He doesn't know what he wants. There's good things about both of them as far as Paul's concerned. Now perhaps you don't share the great faith of Paul. Maybe none of us do. It's quite possible that you and I are unable to face the future with the calm confidence that Paul has. If we can't face the future with the same calm confidence of the Apostle Paul, then we need to realize that his faith is a faith worth having. Because Paul is able to look life in the face. 
Paul is able to look death in the face. And Paul is able to look at both of them without fear. More than just without fear. He looks at them with calm confidence and with great expectations. Whatever the future holds, Paul's faith is a faith in God that makes it possible for him to live life joyously. Whether his faith guarantees the future or not, his faith does guarantee the present. Can you imagine being able to stare death in the face and say, for me to die is gain? Paul can't say that because that kind of attitude is inevitable. Because, folks, death is not always gain. We can think of circumstances where death, far from being gain, is nothing but a total loss. Because whether or not death is gain, is dependent upon the value of the one who dies. It depends on that person's values and what they hold dear to their heart. Suppose that everything a person values in life, that everything a person holds near and dear to their heart, are the things that are material, the things that are tied to this world. Instead of being able to say, for me to live is Christ. That person for whom everything is tied to this world and the things material, that person, for them to say, for me to live is the world. And for that individual whose values are tied to the material and physical and things of this world, for that individual, death is not gained. They're like a farmer in Luke chapter 12. Jesus talked about him. He said the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he had no room wherein to bestow all of his goods. And he said, this I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build bigger barns. And there I can put everything I own. And I'll say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. This man's values were completely 100% tied to the things of this world. And God said to him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee then who shall all these things be which thou possesses? He stored all of his wealth in barns, and he was not rich toward God. And when death came, it did not enrich him. When death came, it left his pockets and his hands as empty as the pockets of a shroud. 
Write this down. It's on the final exam. If all of our values are material, and if all of our values are the things of this world, death will rob us of every one of them. Suppose you might be like the rich man that tradition tells us is named Dives in Luke chapter 16. For me to live is pleasure. That man Dives there in Luke chapter 16, he had a closet full of Hickey Freeman suits. He had Alan Edmund's shoes. He had a freezer full of beef tenderloin and shrimp and a pantry full of caviar. Now that's the 21st century translation of clothes in purple and fine linen and faring sumptuously every day. Everything his heart desired was there. If that's all you've got, death will strip you of purple and rob you of your banquets. When he died, the rich man of Luke 16 found himself in a situation where all of his wealth was not enough to buy a single drop of water. So for whom is death gain? To those to whom life means what it means to Paul. Death has no power to change our character. And it is only those who can say, for me to live is Christ, that can add that final word and say to die. Is gain. Paul could answer every question about his life, every question about himself in terms of Jesus. When he said, For me to live is Christ, that means the author of my life is Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't begin to live in any real sense. Till I met Jesus. He's thinking about an experience that had happened in his life more than 30 years ago. That time where he was on his way to Damascus to seek Christians to put them in prison and beat them. And now here he is, doing what 30 years earlier he had been on his way to punish others for doing. He was calling Jesus Lord. Thirty years earlier when he'd gone into the city, Ananias the preacher had told him what he must do. He said, you've got to be reborn, Saul. And you've got to start to serve Jesus. When he says, for me to live is Christ. That meant that for Paul to live was to reproduce Jesus Christ in his life. That is what life should mean to us. To reproduce in some fashion the virtues, the sacrificial deeds that made the life of Jesus the beautiful life that it was. 
Paul meant that Jesus was the aim. Jesus was the focus. Jesus was the motive and the goal of his life. That he lived and he lived only to please Christ. To possess Christ. To be like Christ. That was the goal of all of Paul's hopes. That was the goal of all of his dreams and all of his prayers. Here's what he says in Philippians 3 and verse 7 and 8. The things that were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung that I may win Christ. Everything that life meant to Paul was summed up in Jesus Christ. Paul lived in expectation of gains beyond death. He believed that death was going to bring him into intimate fellowship with Jesus. He said having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul believed, having lived with Him here, he had lived with Him there. He had full confidence in that. That's why as he neared the end of his life, he'd write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. And he would say, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded He's able to keep that that I've committed to Him against that day. Paul believed firmly down deep in his heart that his death would bring him into a closer fellowship with the Lord. He believed that he would also have fellowship with the best that had lived and had died through all the centuries. Beloved, that faith that belonged to Paul, that can also be our faith. I'm interested in that life to come. I'm interested in that place called heaven. Because you see, when I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord, and when I was buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of my past sins and transgressions, I came up out of that water a joint heir with Jesus, God's Son. And I came up out of that water cleansed from every sin I'd ever had. And I came up out of that water with the deed to my property in heaven. I've got property over there. And I want to go there. I want to see what it looks like. I want to see if that gold street in front of my place, Scott, I want to know if it's two lanes or four lanes. I want to see the size of a pearl that's big enough to be a gate. 
And then I want to go find God and I want to say, God, can I see the oyster that pearl came from? Talk about an oyster. I want to see all of that. But I want to be there because I'm acquainted with a lot of folks that have passed to that land that's fairer than this. And there are people that I've known and I've loved that are over there right now waiting for me. And I'm expecting. And I'm anticipating that someday that great adventure of death, when the pale horse and his rider cross my threshold, that once again I'll have the finest of all my friendships and the richest of all of my associations. I firmly believe that someday I'm going to lock arms with those that I have loved long since and lost. Paul said for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He knew that death was going to bring him a clear vision of Jesus. It was going to bring him a more intimate relationship with the saints of all the ages. And it was going to bring him to an atmosphere that was home-like. Jesus talked about heaven as being home. When He told him He was going to leave in John 14, He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. You believe also in Me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I'd have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am there, you might be also. Those words have put their arms around more stooped shoulders. And those words have put their hand upon a touch of healing upon more hurting hearts than any words that were ever spoken. Heaven is going to be like home. And the same things that make home sweet here are going to make it sweet in the by and by. Because love, love is what makes home, home. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be surrounded by the love of God. And we're going to be enveloped by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. A land of sweet fellowship. A land with a clearer vision of Jesus where we'll be unhampered by the infirmities that are ours to bear in this life. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that for me to live is Christ? If not, maybe you need to change things. Maybe you've never put the Lord on in baptism. Maybe in simple trusting faith you should come and Believing in Christ with all of your heart, repenting of everything that sin, confess His name. Be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. Maybe you've done that, but you haven't lived God's kind of life. Jesus hasn't been the focus and the center of your life, and you can't say with Paul for me to live as Christ. You need to change that. And let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you. The decisions are yours. The invitation is to the Lord as we stand and while we sing.